Welcome back to another episode of The Money Barrel. This week, Kayla got the opportunity to sit down with Andrea Busby of Busby Quarter Horses. Andrea has been heavily involved and successful in every aspect of the barrel racing industry, from owning the legendary sire Blazing Jetalina to raising foals, including this year's world champion Famous Little Jet, owning fraternity horses, and being a veteran rodeo competitor herself, Busby Quarter Horses does it all. We were excited to get the chance to sit down and hear exactly how this elite program started, and we hope you enjoy it too. For more stories about our great equine athletes and their trainers, owners, and breeders, check out what our partners at BarrelRacingMagazine.com have created. Their web content is top quality and free. Plus, while you're there, sign up for the Barrel Racing Magazine newsletter to get timely news plus training tips and a whole lot more sent straight to your inbox. From NFR qualifiers to circuit news, fraternity coverage, and more, Barrel Racing Magazine has it all covered. Also, whether you're at the barn, on the road, or in the arena, check out BarrelRacing.com from the convenience of your device. BarrelRacing.com brings beginning to advanced barrel racing instruction from the most respected voices in the industry, accessible to you anytime, anywhere. Up your game by watching legendary trainers at work, like newly crowned WPRA world champion Jordan Briggs. Plus, new releases with fraternity champion Andre Coelho, NFR qualifier Cheyenne Wimberly, and a whole lot more. Train smarter, not harder, with BarrelRacing.com in 2022. All right, Andrea, you're up. Kayla, take it away. This is The Money Barrel. One of the goals of our podcast is to share the stories of all of those that make our industry work. Um, one of my favorite stallions and a dear friend of mine is Andrea Busby, who owns Blaze and Jetalina, and they're also the breeders of the world champion barrel horse this year. So we wanted to have Andrea on to talk about her program, and thank you for being on the podcast. Thanks for having me. How was it to watch the finals? I know you guys have worked really hard to get that JB brand in the Thomas and Mac. And I mean, this year was just, was just awesome. It was super fun um, to see that happen. And we we're happy for Jordan and, and their family. You know, I guess it wasn't something you it's not like a, a goal that we wrote, we want to raise a world champion. That just wasn't, we were just trying to raise good horses and you just feel like you're working at it, working at it, working at it, working at it. And then, and then it happens. You're like, Oh my gosh, that was, that was cool. I can't, I, I honestly can't, you know, we didn't sit down like, Oh, we want to raise a BFA world champion. We want, want to raise a world champion. I guess I can't say I wrote those goals down, but you're just trying to breed the best that you can breed and do the best that you can do. And you, and then one day you look up and you're like, wow, this is, this is working. <laughs> <laughs> like, wow, that's, that's really our brand. Yeah. And those, just, I mean, you know, it is gratifying to see those, those, the things that you think or the things that you've worked at come to fruition. And, and it's, it's, uh, it's fun to be a part of it. We're happy for them. So you know, I, I just said, like, part of the goal of the podcast is just to tell the background stories. Um, you know, people see Busby Quarter Horses, Blazing Jetalina, you know, this multi-million dollar sire and this massive breeding program. And I, I wanted to basically share, like, how Busby Quarter Horses came to be because I know that, you know, you guys started with, like, 
a horse sale. <laughs> and then that just led to like what is happening today. So, um, I mean, can we just kind of start of like, tell us how Busby Quarter Horses became Busby Quarter Horses? Um, yeah, sure. You know, I was living in Wyoming. Um, was, I saw Pat Spratt. They had a little Rodetto during the Casper State Fair. And I had a horse that I'd gotten from Jane Melby and I went up there and I was running and, um, um, I saw Pat Spratt go through on this horse and I was like, what was that? You know, it just had now looking back, it's your typical dash to fame style. But back then it was, um, it was one of the first sets of dash to fames that went, you know, full sibling, mm-hmm. Sir Patrick Blair, soul, soul flame. <clears throat> Those have been, so he was the first dash to fame that I saw go through the barrel and, um, I had no idea what he was. And, but just was that typical style. And so I was like, what is that? And I tracked her down and quizzed her about him. And from that moment on, I was kind of on a hunt for a dash to fame. And, um, you know, they were on the track and mostly they were just all out in Utah and they were a little bit hard to find at that point. Um, but that at that time, Annie Rose, Michael and Annie Rose were the dash to fame people, uh, in Utah. So my search called them and, and he said, well, I don't have anything here right now. I know where there's one at. Um, let me make a phone call. Well, she, a week or so goes by, and she said, well, I can't get anybody on the phone, but here's this guy's phone number. Call him and see if you can get him, you know, and she told me it was Soul Flame. Well, that that was, we're talking like, gosh, 20 years ago when Soul Flame was, you know, he's 20 now. But he had won the, they had the speed horse stuff. So he had won a bunch of those fraternities, the silver cup, the speed horse. You know, he was on the cover of the Barrel Horse News. And I'm like, oh my gosh, what a, that's a badass horse. So, um, of course I called. Well, it was Jeff. Didn't know him from Adam. And uh, just said, hey, I heard you have this horse. You might be willing to sell. Didn't know anything about him. And uh, he said, well, I don't know. I don't know if I want to sell him right now. So I'm like, well, he didn't say no. <laughs> he, <laughs> he there said, is sure. a there is a chance. I know. I'm like, you're telling me there's a chance. Uh, so I called him. Getting the next month. Well, I don't think so. I don't know. Not right now. Maybe later. And I was like, well, it wasn't a hard no. So I called him three months in a row, and he didn't want to sell it. So at that point, I was like, okay, whatever. <clears throat> so um, I left alone forgot about actually bought a year she wanted to finish his fraternity year and that's kirk's classic fame that um ended up he's been to the nfr now about 12 times with clayton haas as the uh hazen horse so i love that was it really the first jb brand that was in the uh at the nfr the thomas and mac was on the hazen side but uh, anyway I bought him, and then um, that fall, uh, you know, six months later, Jeff called and said, hey, you still want to come down and try that horse? So I flew down there, tried him with, uh, he was, Martha Wright was riding him at that point, and um, uh, it was a kind of an instantaneous match, just, just a fit. So 
I was working in the ER at that point as a nurse, so I flew back up to Wyoming, worked some more shifts in the ER, flew, set up the vet check, flew back down here, vet checked him, and he had chips in his ankle. He didn't pass his vet check. Couldn't take the chips out. So I was devastated because I was already in love with Soul Flame at the time. And Martha said, well, I don't need to keep riding him. And I said, well, I'll ride him. What's he going to do with him? And so there in lies the beginning. And she said, well, why don't you, you know, her and Ed, I said, do you think he'd lease him to me? And so I uh, had to take to the rodeo. So Jeff and I went out to dinner one night when I was down here and worked up a deal for me to lease him from him. And worked that out and he had never been to the rodeos and I don't know I kind of think I was just young and dumb enough about to think it wasn't going to be a big deal and uh <laughs> I was entering the Denver no I actually I didn't I uh, took him home and took him to some jackpots and he just won first everywhere we went I mean killing it so that December I loaded myself up and <clears throat> came down here Odessa was the first rodeo I went to. I think he, uh, I won first or second. At that point, it was a two-header. Won the first round. Went to Denver. Won the first round at Denver. Won the second round at Denver. Those were his very first rodeo performances was Denver. Wow. Yeah, it was a lot. Lisa Lockhart, you know, I grew up up there and he was trying to crawl through the cement wall back there in the holding pen before the, she's petting on him, trying to calm him down before the shore. He was a lot of horse. He was, he was pretty hot. And, you know, that was, it just, it just worked. And I think I ended up winning second to Posey. She was on stitch at the time. And, uh, well, I mean, it was just like, he won everywhere we went. And then, I couldn't get into it. It was the year that the WPRA had turned over to the PWBRA or whatever that was. So they didn't take any of the current year standings into anything. So I didn't get into it. So then I sat for several, you know, I didn't get into Austin, Houston, San Antonio, anything. And then he was like, oh, I swear, like he had zero street smarts, though. Man, he was... If you if he was a kid on the playground, you look down the you're like, hey, look down this gun. He'd be like, okay. And he was constantly just doing stupid things to get himself hurt, you know. And and I was a rookie too. Like I thought Jackson, Mississippi sounded like a long ways away, so I didn't enter that one. And at that point, I was like, okay, I need some help, rodeo, like my rookie year. But um, and then he got went to California and he won around at Red Bluff, and then he got pigeon fever out there, but. So there was kind of some things, and then he chipped his knee at the end of that year. Or no, I had, let's see, after Pigeon Fever, we just had, we struggled that summer, and then I got to the tour finale. They used to have to go from Caldwell, the first tour finale, to Puyallup, and I got to Puyallup, and I would have had to win Puyallup and get into Omaha and win pretty good at Omaha to make the finals. And I made the top four at Puyallup, but I think that ankle started bothering him, and, uh, so missed the missed the NFR that year by I don't know I think I ended up twentieth or something but but in the meantime I fell in love with Jeff wasn't planned just just the side note <laughs> just a side note yeah and uh, you know some things uh, 
God intended happen and, and it happened and God turns all things into something good. And so even though my mother was going to kill me for a while and it was a rocky, it was rocky. She's here living with us now. So all things, <laughs> all things do turn out okay. And typically, you know. So did so you ever go back home to Wyoming or did you just kind of end up no, in Texas? No, no. I have been here since. <laughs> <laughs> and we got married four years later. And uh, let's see, what is, we've been married since 2010. So, yeah, then we were, yeah, dated four years before we got married and then got married and. Happily ever and then, after. You know, yeah. And then, you know, uh, Jeff was working full time and um we didn't it wasn't near the operation you know he had kids uh, high school rodeo on and uh, junior rodeo on so it was a lot of you know those horses at the ranch and weren't raising horses or anything and then when soul got hurt we bought some other ones and it's real not common to have that immediate fit like soul and i fit so then you know you're you're buying horses that because you'd get into Houston or whatever, and so we bought some things, because then, so when I got home that fall, he chipped his knee, and we had to take a, knee, a chip out of his knee, and you entered it all these, you know, you got into Houston, you got into all those rodeos, and you're like, oh, what am I going to do, and so, um, so we bought a few, and they weren't the magic fit, and Jeff's like, this is crazy, you know, and just dealing with, he said, why don't we, um, I guess I'm kind of fast-forwarding through some years, but we decided rather than end up with horses that you didn't know their backstory, you're trying to figure them out. And why don't you breed and raise your own? And and that was really Jeff's idea. We didn't, we didn't even go, we didn't start out saying we want our breeding program. We want to have a stud. We want to do the stallion was, was a, was an afterthought, honestly. Um, and, there was, you know, Grant Little was the first place that we went and bought some young horses. We we're going to start them ourselves and and train them rather than, it's hard to buy a really good rodeo horse. I'm sure that's that's not news to anybody because the good ones aren't for sale or they're super, super expensive or they've been, if they're seasoned enough to be a rodeo horse, they've probably got some maintenance issues. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's just, it's hard to buy the ones that are, anything that's winning and um and if anybody knows jeff like that is a true jeff thing like i'm just gonna do this myself from the start yeah. and yeah. <laughs> make them exactly how i want i'm not gonna yeah you know ask somebody else to do it i'm, I'm gonna do it myself yeah yeah and uh true i mean he's definitely an entrepreneur but um he thinks differently than a lot of people about things but uh which makes things unique it's probably what what i love about him would also drive me crazy about him but um yeah that could be a lot of a lot of good and bad greatest yeah our greatest strengths are, are also our greatest weaknesses <laughs> so we remind each other of that often uh so we went on this snowy day in may we kind of laugh about it with grant real now but we flew to canada and uh looked grant had all these nice colts and Rael had, um, I guess maybe Dina Kirkpatrick turned us on. You know, Jeff grew up out in Slayton, and, and she had ridden Lady Perks before for Grant and had ridden some other horses for Grant. And I think um, 
that's how we even came to know about Grant Little. And uh, we flew to Canada, to Alberta, and he had all these nice fillies back behind his barn. And um, the other thing about Jeff is he buys in bulk. We've had this conversation. It doesn't matter what, you know, I go up there, I'm going to buy one horse. And we get up there and Jeff's like, I think we should just buy them all. <laughs> Like, what? Yeah, he really does do that with, like, everything. Yeah, he does. <laughs> everything. Everything. So, uh, doesn't, uh, believe in wasting time. So, what year was, was this? Oh, Kayla. Let's see. Remember? That had to be 2012, maybe? Okay, so because I mean, uh, really, like the online pictures, you know, like that's probably why you guys had to go up there because it wasn't really that time yet that you could just like get on Facebook. He did and be have like, no Facebook wasn't. He did have a website, and we had looked at him on website, but it's so hard to tell you, yeah. especially if you're gonna um, look at those cults. And uh, he had so Grant had lady perks. Um, Rail, uh, Dina Kirkpatrick had started Lady Perks and then sent her back to Grant and Rail ended up fraternity in her and on that history wins Pinocchio three times so he had these fillies out of Lady Perks that were by Blaze and Jelena he had one by Dash to Fame um, and then he also had the a good mare that Kelly Yates had ran she was dead but he had those fillies there and so we looked through them and ended up um, vet checked them and brought them home and that was really, at that point, we hadn't even really thought about a breeding program. We just wanted to start our own. And um, it was from those fillies that really our whole entire breeding program got started. And so we were riding those blazing gentlinas and loved them. And Jeff has always roped, and he wanted horses that you could run barrels on, rope on, that you could really do anything on. And um, they were just, he liked the, the, the cow horse and the speed cross. Um, you know, his his dream was to have a one-horse trailer. And we go to the rodeo, and he rope on it, and I run barrels on <laughs> I don't know if he was really thought that was going to happen, but, uh, <laughs> but that, that was the dream, right? And uh, so Randy, then Ryan Levendahl was working for us, and Randy was, you know, Ryan had ridden Blaze and Jelena, and then we have these two fillies, had a lady purse by Blaze and Jelena, and um, it was, it came up in conversation sometime, do you think, Randy and Sue had gotten divorced, do you think they'd sell him? And I'm like, there's no way they would sell Blaze and Jelena, because we loved those two fillies, that was um, the which has now fast forward ended up being the mother to Jordan Briggs world champion. So those two fillies were what really started our breeding program and the thought of it and buying blaze and Jelena. And uh, we asked Randy when he, cause jet stayed at our house for probably three weeks, three or four weeks when Randy was moving in from North Texas breeding facility down to shadow Oak where he stands to this day. Um, he was at our house for about three weeks and we asked Randy and at that time they weren't interested in selling him. And so no big deal. We 
go forward and those Phillies are everything we thought they'd be and amazing and one ended to get the the, the mother the Jordans ended up um early in her fraternity year straining behind getting some, some Spencer Desmitis and didn't get to compete on her like we wanted to but we we knew what she was and um but Ryan still won a decent amount on the other filly so I guess it was probably in a year later we flew out to Marana and went between Sue and Randy and they you know I think it was just a different time and it was before uh, Christy Laughlin ever made the finals on moving so it was probably just god's timing you know that it all happened as it happened because had you know it may have they may have had a different feeling about it i think being in the breeding business this long now and watching stallion ocean how long and how hard it is to prove them and you know from the time they compete because jet obviously was amazing (laughs) as a performer and then to those first group of cults that hit the arena and proved themselves that's a long painful waiting and you know trying to admit you know those expenses that come with it and just this i think i don't know my my, i I always wondered if if christy would have made the finals and then we asked you know we may have been a year too late yeah but um um has it worked out it was it was meant to me i guess and so jeff pecked out this contract to buy jet on his all we flew out there with, I don't know why he didn't take his computer, we had his iPad, and it was, <laughs> he was pecking this contract out on his uh, keypad and his little iPad out there. When I really, I was like, there's no way they're going to do this. I was completely, you're an idiot. This is not going to work. <laughs> I was like, I'll go if we can stay at a nice hotel. So we spent Easter weekend at this nice hotel in Marana, Arizona. And uh, running back and forth to Kinko's to print the contract off, and let their lawyers read it, and our lawyers read it, and get with Randy, and then have Sue over for dinner. It was it was pretty funny, actually. Yeah, our, the first meeting was at Little Abner's with Sue, and my job was to feed Sue margaritas, so she'd say <laughs> yes. <laughs> you had a plan. You had a plan going into plan. it. <laughs> so, I love both Sue and Randy. They're awesome, and um, it uh, <clears throat> it worked out. And then we, you know, so we do. Um, we bought him, and we actually moved in them from Shadow up here to ESMS because it was just down the road from us. And then we started, so we bred those mares um, then that we bought from Grant. I want to say they were three-year-olds the year we bought Jet. And uh, so GL Famous First Lady is probably one that people recognize the most. She was, um, she ended up having a, she rolled into a fence and got a pelvic injury and and didn't get to compete on her either. So ironically, a lot of those mares that we got from Grant, we, we did end up getting two of them to the fraternities, and they both did well. Um, and then the two that are probably the biggest known producers are the two we didn't get to the fraternities. But, um, um, That's that amazing be, uh, that yeah. all three of those came out of that same purchase. Like, that's incredible. Uh-huh, yeah. And, uh, so GL famous first lady who has produced Jet's top gun, um, the one that Mary, you know, I should have looked at their register names before I started this podcast. <laughs> That's okay. Uh, Everybody knows know, Benny. 
yeah, Danny, Mary, Bargie, all these, um, the one that Jordan Bridge, actually, so we sent Mary, it was the one that said that of how more I ended up winning on, mm-hmm. um, promised me a jet, I think it's her, yeah. Um, we sent her to, at the same time, we sent her and Prince to Jolene the train, and, um, because the year we bought Jet, circling all the way back to why Jeff and I met, I started hunting the mother to Soul Flame and found out she was dead, found the full sibling with Dee Brayman, bought an embryo from Dee, and um, I still remember standing in a restaurant in Steamboat when Dee called me back and told me I could buy a mar- uh, embryo, an egg out of that marrow. I was so excited. And so, like, those horses all ended up being, that was our first group of fraternity cults that we raised was Prince, Mary, um, Daphne, all of these horses. So, um, I mean, that's wild. Cause I feel like, I mean, I know it's been a couple years since all of them ran, but I don't feel like it was that long ago. And I feel like you've had, yeah, you've long. had Blaze and Jelena for a really long time. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. Like, I think people, yeah. It's, it's hard to get, to not get discouraged. And the people that I talk to now that have had good stallions, they've performed on, you know, like last year I was talking to a friend of mine and I said, you just got to gut it out now. Like this, these are the years that, you know, Jet has always, I tell people this all the time, I'm like, he's always been the same horse. Yeah. Because Nuvin and the horse that Vicky Carter ran of Hendrix's were his very first colt crop. So he's been producing from day one. Just people don't, by the time you get those horses to five, five, those horses that are five, and now you got to prove them and move and probably went to the NFR first year when she was, say, eight, eight or nine, maybe. I mean, that's nine years from the time Jet produced that horse to people. And that's just the first one. And you can't just be a one hit wonder. Yeah. People don't believe in one hit wonders. You got to keep doing it over and over and over and over. And I honestly, like it takes, by the time people love a horse, a stallion, it seems like they're 21 years old. Like, yeah. Frenchman's fabulous. Frenchman's guy. Blaze and Jolene is 20, coming 22 now. So it's a painful process. And I understand why people get frustrated and, um, in that, interim mm-hmm. but um i do if you can uh you know if it, the, we were able to afford to do what we did with jet and and, and that was just brainchild was i'm not selling any of these we're keeping them we're putting them with because you know you hear the little rumors about your horse okay jets they don't make the tree they make rodeo horses and we heard it all then then they don't want fillies or because Movin was the first one that went to the NFR. Well, you don't want Geldings. You got to have a Philly because after Movin was Jed O'Rett that won the Derby at Fort Smith, and then and then comes along, um, you know, and then it was Victoria Williams mare, and it was a mare. So those first three were mares. Oh, Geldings suck. You got to have a Philly. <laughs> you just kind of are like, oh my god. Um, just give them a minute. Give them some time. <laughs> You know, I, I just, and then became, after that was Prince, and now now I sometimes I get, and then Benny, now people are like, oh, now I want a gelding. And, and I think at this point, 
it doesn't really matter. Yeah. <laughs> He's finally, I feel like, kind of proven himself. And, and um, but it takes, it, it's a painstaking process to, to do it. And um, I never, we were just kind of breeding things that we want. I, you know, we both compete. I still rodeo. I still compete. I, what I want to ride. And the stuff, it never like I said at the beginning of this, it didn't. We didn't sit down and say we want to raise. These are our goals. We want to raise a world champion, three pair world champion, a BFA world champion, a Derby champion, a redirect. You know those. I, I can't. I honestly can't say that those were the goals. That raising, raising great horses was the goal, and I think that's all just total icing on the cake. And I, I do think that it, it is. It did none of it's by accident. Just. You know, I think I grew up on a cattle ranch, horse ranch, did the 4-H thing. Confirmation's always been a big deal. And I have learned, you know, the, the, there was a steep learning curve for me when we got into the breeding deal. And now it's, it, it seems second nature now, but I'm big on the Maryland. And the more I've done it and been into it and looked at it, you can watch those Marylines come all the way down. Um, from Jet's mom, Jet's sire's mom, you know, the way he, they, it just keeps coming down and you watch those good mares, Lady Perch reproduces, outproduces herself, you know, just keeps coming down and, um, was people call us or they'll call and say, Hey, do you want to buy this? mare?" I, <clears throat> I'm fortunate to be able to say, you know, I don't want, if it's a sister of a sister, to a sister that did something no thanks i'm not interested um it's been a big deal for us to have really good mares in our program and i think the better mares you can get your stallion on the better off you're gonna be yeah Um, and we just had jordan on the podcast and she said something along the lines of like you know just some things you can't like you can't control or you know you can never like make it happen if you wrote it out right so like buying the mares and then them just happen to be blaze and jetalina and then you just happening to buy them before moving made the finals and then you know like Mm -hmm. them getting hurt probably really sucked when it happened but you were able to start breeding gl famous first lady and yeah, you know. when she got hurt, we call her Reba. When we got her, I'm like, well, I bet, you know, we, we all said we both used the best broodmare we ever had. Well, it kind of turned out. I mean, every single thing she's had has been one a bunch. I mean, I think that mare's produced over six, seven hundred thousand now. And But you're always trying to do better, always trying to breed better, always trying. You know, and I don't, I now, like, I'm real specific. People, I, I don't. I look at a mare, where does her wife pick her apart? Like, what is her fault? Is that, what is that? Just because I own Jet doesn't mean I'm going to cross everything on him. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I honestly haven't found anything that he hasn't crossed on, but I'm just thinking out loud here. Like, um, or if I have a mare that I look at both of their weaknesses and I don't care who you are, your horse, there's very few that are perfect confirmation. Uh-huh. And so I'm not going to breed this horse to that horse where they're both, they both are weak in the same area. Um, it doesn't make any sense. 
Well, and I think oh. now, I mean, you guys have to outcross too, because now you have so many yeah, good blazing Jetalina mares that you have to bring right. out. Yeah, and I know Jetto Red's strengths and weaknesses. I know movements. I know, you know, we keep, we've got Betty here. Um, that's the mother to Jordan's horse. You know, what are their strengths and weaknesses? And I go find something to, you're not going to go put the same weakness on that. And and then, you you know, we've worked really hard. And most of it, we, we always tell people there's these rules, quote unquote, at our house or these they all came from doing it wrong the first time or the first couple of times or, you know, what, what from the, how we treat our broodmares to our recipient mares, where we flush them, where we, do we home? Do we do it all right here? Do we, I mean, there's been so much we've learned that's helped make our program successful from um, the kind of recipient mares we use to the, what we feed them to where they're housed, to how we, bring them up later than, you know, the kind of, like you and I talk about, the kind of fences we use. To mm-hmm. the, I mean, we've had it all go wrong. Um, you know, just even what kind of vaccines we use. Do we do double plasmas? Do we do, I mean, and then from there, how do we separate them? How do we, uh, we have really sandy soil. We have to start trimming our babies real quick and um, after they're born and to prevent different, deformities or OCD lesions or um, how we start grouping them. And I mean, it's just been a trial and error process and uh, it seems second nature now. It didn't at the beginning and, and there's been, you know, like I said, we, we did a lot of it wrong to start with. (laughs) (laughs) So now that you list all that, I'm going to make you kind of explain it because I mean, your guys's place is so well thought out and it, has taken you know a lot of time to come up with that so tell us a little bit about like today's busby quarter horses um you know kind of the layout what you guys have i mean i know that's a lot but you know i think that's really interesting for people to hear like how you guys keep the horses and like you said the group like all of that is just so interesting so tell us a little bit about like today at busby quarter horses well um you know um Jeff is self-made, and so as we could afford things, we did things differently, or we bought groups of land next to us, and the place has expanded. Um, you know, and I, knock on wood, I, we don't have the sicknesses in any of our babies that we used to, but that was, um, you know, so now, I guess if you came now, we are, and maybe my nursing background and having Marty Tanner there has helped. Um, I've always been pretty big into biosecurity, but um, our if you come to our main place, you don't see any pregnant mares, any recipient mares. You have to get on a car, go over. You know, it's all connected, but the far part of the ranch is where the recent mares live. They live out in a pasture together. Um, we don't pour the feed to them. I think one of the biggest things... I've learned in nutrition with mares and babies and you over protein those things and you're going to end up with a bunch of OCD lesions. And, um, so they're pretty much on, we have really good grass. We do a good job fertilizing it. We also raise cattle. We rotate the cattle through the pastures for, um, worm control. Um, you know, we deworm. We are big on our vaccinations. We don't get behind on those. Cause we do have, you know, I think we're on, 
I don't know, four or 500 acres right there, but we've got 120 head of horses there too. So those, those pregnant mares never come in contact with another horse. Um, from the other, we call the training side of the ranch and the kind of foaling breeding side of the ranch. Um, there's different manure forks. There's different, you know, it, it's very, the line is pretty delineated and people want to come for a ride. That's fine. But, you know, we may ride out in a pasture, but I'm like, do not touch noses over there with those horses. Or, you know, when you walk in our falling barn, you have to walk through a foot bath. You walk through, there's hand sanitizers on the wall um, that you have to use. But so I guess <clears throat> they're, we, they're out on grass. Um, if the grass, you know, when it dies off and gets a little short, we put coastal bales out there. And, and we, we, we don't supplement them. There's mineral tubs, salt, big believer in mineral and salt. And then, uh, we just give them a little bit of um, grain to, honestly, to check them every day. They all come up. We, they get looked at every day. And um, at 30 days out, we bring them up into a smaller pen. They're outside the foaling barn, so we can really start watching them. And um, then we start adding some higher protein grain and a little alfalfa into it because that, for that last trimester there in those last 30 days, and then, you know, we tried the night shift thing and falling them out there ourselves. And it was just on it's as much as we were spending um, to staff it. And then you'd go over there and, and good health is hard to find. Yeah. <laughs> you go over there and your night shift people are sleeping and watching TV. And, you know, there's a mare falling out. Or something. So it was just an, it was just a headache. And we got with ESMS and we're really lucky to live right here. And, um, you know, they package it where, um, we decided to not do night shift if um but we use our milk test now we get within about those things are pretty dang accurate you get about 72 hours and so we use we just take them up to esms they fall them out which is honestly like if we had a red bag or something at our house we're not going to save that they were too far away as close as we are to a vet clinic so <clears throat> that doesn't happen very often. I know we would have lost one last year had it not been at the vet clinic. So, you know, when you're breeding $25,000, babies, it's well worth the cost of just doing it up there. Yeah. Um, and then we bring them home, and they're, they're in our foaling barn. And like I said, our foaling barn has strict biosecurity, the flooring, and even the fencing that we've gone to. You know, um, I saw something on Facebook. I think actually you were asking about fencing mm-hmm. for foals and how to keep them from you know we did have one very good snack and so what are we going to do and and a lot of the engineering of our place is is jet that's what he is it's what he loves to do is come up with things like you can ride up to all of our gates and open them from horseback without anything sticking up the ones in the corner are on a longer pole they're further back or the fencing is v-mesh there's a there is a top rail pipe, and then I think it's about every six feet a down rail. But in between that is this pipe that is uh, V mesh with cedar stays. And knock on wood, we've had them just bounce off it and roll on. So it, it um, that you know, and they're not getting under it. They're not getting um, over it. Um, what else from the time it. Our new, our latest project is because I came from Wyoming. We're going to change out our tanks after last winter's little snowmageddon to the tire, the rubber tire tanks that my dad's always used on the ranch up there in Wyoming. But 
Um, the folding barn is all a solid flooring, so you can sanitize it. Um, solid as in it's the rubber. It's really soft. It's easy on their joints. Something has to be stained, uh, but it's solid rubber then. That you can sanitize that, and they don't, you know, as mares seem, we, we had it open, more open air with welded wire front sides, and those mares just didn't seem as comfortable, so we went back and made those solid in between the stalls. That was another lesson after the fact, and and then we try and get, you know, we, um, because, again, the number of horses we have, we do do the two plasmas. That's really cut down on our number of illnesses. Um that we have we've got pretty healthy babies we have we work with our i mean dr tanner and then the internal medicine guy at esms we have a um a vaccination policy that when I mean, those babies are getting vaccinated down here that whole first year we've got a whole list of them that that seems to work for us and um you know as those then we start turning them out we try and Marty always tells me the only thing that those babies get from their mothers after four months is bad habits. But we do try and wean in groups, and uh, and if they're ready, and you know, we bring them back up into the foreign bars. Let's see, it's kind of a full year. You're either falling them out or weaning them or getting them ready to fall. One of the two. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, you know, we do start working with them too right away uh, because we do. We we live on a sand farm essentially, which is great and terrible we start trimming their feet right away marty does start doing leg um evaluations within probably the first week are they good enough to turn out yep or do we need to keep this one up do we need to trim it differently does it need a little just to make sure you know like i said these it's not left to chance that these horses are turning out you know mm-hmm. we're, it's steps all along the way from what we're feeding the recent mares and the feed program and the feed company that we use to, you know, until they finally hit the arena, it's, it's, it's a, it's kind of right now, it seems like it just runs like a well-oiled machine. And like I said, it did happen because we did it all wrong to start with, I think. <laughs> Learn by trial um, and error. <laughs> yeah. So it's just that, you know, then we turn them out and uh, we try and keep them out in big pens, but, we're handling them. They get halter broke really early on. Um, the guy that works for us, Jorge, does an amazing job with them. They, they'll load, they'll go on the trailer. They'll, and it seems for us, we used to not halter break until we weaned them. And I was like, this is a beating. <laughs> I'm getting more, you know, now it's just not a big deal. We start right away. It works for us. There's places that don't handle them at all. And that works for them, you know, mm-hmm. but because we have to, um, handle them so much it's just easier to do it right from the beginning and they're and then when we go to sell them people do appreciate that you know they're easy to deal with when somebody comes to buy them even when they're young and they get kicked out it seems like i always tell you from the time like we just loaded up our two-year-olds and they went to the trainer today um from the time you wean them or they even you know you really kick them out to the today oh gosh it seems like you're just that's kind of the painful waiting process of getting to do anything with them and and keeping them alive <laughs> the time they hit the ground to the time they go to the two-year-old guy but uh i guess i don't know then we put them in groups and the fillies go together we just start out that way the fillies go together the stud colts go together um you know and you kind of got to 
with recent marriage can get along and then once they're weaned, the Phillies are together, the Fed Colts are together. And I think we, we go through and do our first round of castrations. I, yeah, I don't really want another stud. <laughs> so I've probably cut a couple that I should have left, but it's okay. Um, you know, we actually left Prince's stud and Jolene called and said, I don't, she said, I couldn't afford to cut him, but I don't think, I don't know if I can get this done. And he, after I wrote him for, you know, a while, I was like, whew, this, this would have been a lot of, he's, he's, he's a handful as a gelding. So, you know, but then many, maybe we should have left him with that, but I love a great gelding. So it's all good. And, um, and then they start moving as they age, they start moving closer to the training facility and the indoor arena and they'll usually go to the two-year-old place. And, you know, we used to have one guy that broke all the Colts and we figured out that everybody likes something different. So if Jolene wants to ride behind her husband, Kirby, by all I, that sets her up for success and that sets us up for success. Fine. Here's your, two, you know, great. I will send you your two-year-old. He can break your two-year-olds. Ashley, who do you want to ride? You know, we kind of go to the girls or guy, whoever's training them and say, who do you want to break your two-year-olds? And then I don't hear, you know, then it's not on me that we picked a bad two-year-old guy or didn't fit this person or whatever. And they all have something they want a little different. It just seems to have worked. You know, the only downside that was they could kind of feel them after they got broke and say, well, I like this one or I like that one. But at this point, I can pretty much pick out the ones that Jolene's going to, she's got a pretty specific style she likes, you know, um, Mm -hmm. Ashley did come by, you know, Sue has stuff she likes. Ashley came by and picked a couple out. Sabre had picked one out early. I mean, you you know, they kind of, they all have a style that they know they're going to like or a breeding they want to try or whatever it is. So um, I used to try and let them ride through them and kind of pick. And I, at this point of, being, of working with those girls long enough now that I kind of know what they're going to like anyway. So it's just easier to let them pick their own two-year-old breaker and and some people don't care they're just like just get them broke i'll deal you know do whatever so i just think that really goes to show that like again like you guys truly think about everything and like you have the end goal but then you know how to get there because i remember walking through your place i mean i think it was when prince was like two before he was broke or he was about to be three because I remember walking through and you're like, yep, this one's going to go to Ashley. This one's going to go to Jolene. This one's going to go, you know, like you had it all planned about where they were going to go and just, you know, working backwards to try and make it as successful as possible. Cause by that point you already had three years into them. I start thinking about going through those cold. I mean, I've already looked at the weanlings and no, well, they're not yearlings because the calendar says they are. <laughs> uh, what we're going to do, where they're going to go, who's going to fit. I mean, you look at them and it's just a continuous thought process for me. Every mm-hmm. time I drive by them, every time I walk through them, every time I, something happens, I'm just kind of constantly thinking about the future. And I've got spreadsheets of what's going to be 2024, what's going to be 2025, what's going to be 2022 fraternity cults. And how's that going to look? And do we want to, you know, we haven't had a fraternity cult now in two years and people, you know, nobody knows that except you. They call and want horses, and I'm like, I don't even. Oh, we sold them all. Yeah, <laughs> I didn't have a dirty goal until 
this year we had the first moon flash cult, but, um, which is what we set it up very be it worked, you know, when we said we're going to invest in our own product and just said, I'm going to control my own destiny mm-hmm. by keeping, I think we had eight cults and fraternity cults that it, went to the, you had a lot that year. We had a lot. And I was like, Oh my God, this is expensive. <laughs> <laughs> and it, but it, I mean they all won like it was it did work and that was just a blessing from you know that it it did work but it we were very interactive I know there was some growing pains we do things a little differently because Marty is here we we look at those cults a lot we bring them home, and I think I, I would hope that Jolene Ashley Jenna, they would all say that it's been a, it's been a good working relationship, um, you know, because most of those girls have their own that that they like to use. But um, they've it's it seems it seems to have worked for us. We, you know, Marty says I I want to look at those cults every few months and make sure that I'm doing my job so they can do their job, and and I think it's worked out pretty good now that um, everybody has a feel for it. I'm sure that there was like what you don't try, you know. I'm sure it rattled their programs a little bit to start with, but I also don't ask them. I don't say you got to bring those horses home every eight weeks. Like we go get them, we bring them home. I get them right back to them the next day. You know, I don't ask our trainers to, to do something out of the ordinary and I try and go above and beyond to make it easy for them. But, um, but yeah, we, uh, go get them, go through them and have them back the next day. And, you know, I send, I, they're all, you know, we, I'm trying to think of other things that we do. I, I send them with GastroGuard. I send them with, um, you know, we test for EPM. We do a lot of spot checking. It's just, you know, we feed up off the ground because when you feed down in buckets, the possums are getting in. It's just the area. I didn't know anything about EPM when I came down here. Mm-hmm. Um, we keep our feed room real tight, closed up. Nothing is out. Nothing is able to get to it. Um, you know, there's a reason we, like, things that come second nature again there's a reason why we feed in the buckets we feed there's a reason uh, you know so i make sure those colts get farm x-rays before they go to the two-year-old um we know honestly we know early on so we can hopefully fix it and and by changing our feed program we dropped our ocd lesions down to a very manageable number and uh you know now with modern medicine between we can put a little windstraw in those joints. We can put them on Adequan and fill in any little thing. So that horse, one, is going to pass a pre-purchase. Two, it's going to stay sound. Three, you know, you're just setting your program up for success the, the earlier you catch any little problem. Um, and you know what you're going in before. If, you, if you've if got a horse that, well, nobody's, I'm, nobody's ever going to get a surprise coming from our place. And... Yeah. It may not be, you know, you may get this $30,000 prospect for 5000 because it's got something going on that we weren't able to fix, but if you want to take a chance at it, here you go. Mm-hmm. I've also, I've going to sell stuff like that, and people are like, eh, I don't think so, and it's gone on to be a winner. <laughs> yeah. You know, and they're like, damn, I could have bought that horse for $5,000, and now it's a $60,000 horse. I've had a couple of those, so, um, and they're loving it, and, when, you know, so... But there are no surprises. I don't like to be surprised. I want to know everything. I sometimes I think that part of me drives Jeff crazy. That I'm a. I need answers. I need to know 
why something's happening, what is going on, and I'll dig until I find it. Or, you know, and I think Marty and I have a really good working relationship of that that's, it's, that's taken a lot of pressure off me to do it the way we're doing it now um, as far as the vet side of it. Yeah, the more you know, I mean, you're just able to help them help them succeed, which is the whole goal. You want your horses to go and succeed, and by knowing yeah. all of this, like you're able to start as early as possible, and there's there's little questions. Yeah, and you know, um, I just know what Marty's. You know, we don't. You if we inject their stifles and they come back up sore thirty days from later or sixty days later, more, sooner than six months they're probably gonna get their stifle scoped and we're gonna catch a problem before it's something or if there's you know yeah they may end up having to be off some time but before you shatter that stifle or whatever's happening Mm -hmm. um like i said we send them we we use a lot of stomach ulcer products because i don't want them going to and i we send them to the two-year-old trainer with stomach ulcer stuff Mm -hmm. um because down here you know you figure out you start breaking those colds, they get stressed, they get ulcers, and pretty soon they got an EPM outbreak. You know, now you're you just set yourself back. So the more we can eliminate, you know, or be proactive, the better off we've been. If you're listening to this on the Patreon app or at patreon.com, you just heard about 20 extra minutes from Andrea where she gives her thoughts on stallion incentives as a stallion owner, rider, and trainer herself. If you want to hear extra content from many of our Season 2 guests, gain early access to episodes, and hear our subscriber-only content, The Short Go, head on over to patreon.com today and search The Money Barrel and subscribe for just $5 a month. Thank you to those who are already subscribed. And thank you to our partners at BarrelRacing.com and The Barrel Racing Magazine. Be sure to check out their website and sign up for the Barrel Racing Magazine newsletter today so you can keep up on all things barrel racing during the 2022 season. Who knows, maybe we'll see you and your horse's name in the newsletter or hear your voice right here on The Money Barrel. All right, everyone, run fast, be safe, and we'll see you soon.